Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Harry and Lloyd. We're really doing it, aren't we, buddy? Let's start the show. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by CC Mobile. Get the hookup on a private disposable phone. Better call CC Mobile. Welcome, everyone, to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And we're filmmakers, actors. Uh, I've been a full-time writer, filmmaker, director, guy uh, for, I don't know, a little over 11 years. Todd's been a full-time producer uh, for many moons. And we bring all of that into uh, film analysis, discussion, review. And part of the fun is, I think, what we do is is not... I, I don't know about you all the time, but I try to always avoid... Uh, reading or diving into other people's opinions or reading uh, whatever insights that the directors may have given to a movie. And instead it's, it's not about what can I learn and research to, you know, make for a fun pop quiz uh, of any given movie. Instead it's what do I take with me and what do I take away after watching a movie um, and trying to reproduce that experience because there are no cheat codes um, whenever you're creating something, it's about what you bring with you. Um, and just because you intended to do something doesn't mean that's the impact you're going to have on the audience. And so it's always a game of what did I learn? Not what did the creator intend to do? Uh, because those two things are not the same thing. Um, and in that vein, like I was telling everyone last week, we were talking about the music video last week, the, the week before about the music video I just shot. So I got into post this, you know, past week and was editing it and hated it. hated the first half, you know, it's just one long winner. And I was like, ah, it's boring. I, I, I hate it. Why did I do this? I'm an idiot. <laughs> like <laughs> I, was, I was telling you, Todd, I was like, I, 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 I can still become a farmer, right? It's not too late for that. And you wisely uh, pointed out it is too late for that. <laughs> Don't do that. Yes. <laughs> and so it's, it's a, it's a tricky thing. Like um, having, I think part of it is just the honesty to know when something isn't working and to be able to say, look at it and and say, you know what, you, you're not working. I had an idea and it's, it's not quite clicking. And so at that point, man, it's whatever it takes, like reevaluating, what do I have on hand and, and how can I repurpose that to make something stale, become fresh again? Yeah. I don't know what your experience is of just working through problems. Cause a lot of filmmaking is exactly that it's problem solving. And so much creativity comes out of problem solving which is probably also why so many big budget films are terrible it's because no one, they never have to work around any problems. They can throw money at it. Well, there's not a lot of creativity in, in paychecks. It, it's only in trying to earn your paycheck. Do you ever get creative? <laughs> and so uh, on this side of things, you know, the, the cheap route, like it's always creative fixes and trying to use your imagination to, to plug in holes um, as it were. Yeah. Well, what say you? <laughs> well, most of most of the stuff that I do is like, huh, not most, but a lot of the stuff I do is trying to fix things. So, you know, we work with filmmakers sometimes that don't quite capture what we need. And mm -hmm. so, you know, like being inventive with B-roll or, you know, figuring out what is, is there another like aspect to the story that we can tell with what we've got? Can we pivot? You know, those kinds of things. And I think that that's, that's necessary, you know, when today, when you don't really have the budgets to spend a lot of time on something or to get a lot more B-roll or a lot more, or, or have a lot of pre-production time available, you kind of have to like show up and get what you get and then make something out of that. And I think I actually like that a lot. I mean, I respond really well to that kind of thing for some reason, like I... I don't know how to put this. I'm a person that needs to feel prepared, but at the same time, whatever I get on the day is what I get, right? As long as I go in feeling prepared, what I get is is kind of like, okay, that's what I've got. Now, how do we make this into something that's usable that's actually that's actually good? Because I can't go back in time. I can't do this any better. I can't ask for this thing that I didn't ask for. I can't, you know, I I just cannot do that. So you're making the most out of what you got. As long as you go in prepared, 
that's the best you can do. If you go in unprepared, then that's your fault, you know, kind of thing. And talking before the podcast, we talked about your situation and I felt like you were prepared, right? Like that's the difference, right? So you went in with a plan, you know, that we are going to do this and this and this, and you did all of those things and you had the plan, you knew how you're going to execute. You had what you, what you could get on the day. Um, you did everything you could. And then you got into post and you're thinking, Oh man, okay. I was prepared, but I, this didn't turn out the way that I wanted it to. Now, what can I do? And then you pivoted and turned it into something that is much more exciting. That is, that is not just usable, but actually tells a good story. And, and you were able to do it with, because you were prepared and you got a bunch of other stuff. I, I think that's way more valuable than having a perfect plan and executing it perfectly. That's no fun to me. <laughs> then you get into, I mean, I know you're, you know, it's you're maybe a little bit different. You get into post and you're like, I know, I want to know what I've got. And, you know, it'd be perfect. But I like like getting into the editing room and thinking, okay, shit. Um, uh, okay. How do we, okay. Now, it, because it just opens up a whole new avenue in your brain of, okay, how can I connect this to this? What do I have? And what, how can I manipulate what I have into something that is maybe something I didn't think about, you know, going into it? Oh man, you know what? If I zoom, if I zoom in 50% into this, cause I shot 4k now I can, I have a whole nother angle. Okay, cool. What if I did this on this clip too? And, and now all of a sudden what you had isn't necessarily what you have and you've kind of turned it into something that's cool. I, I just love that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's this weird little step-by-step process of one fire at a time. Like you can't eat the whole elephant all mm. at once. It's about what small thing can I fix here and there? And then cumulatively it adds up to something hopefully a little bit better each time. And yeah, that's, that's kind of the best you can do for me. My process, once I get into post it's just to figure out what do I have before I even try to make anything, right? If you go into your kitchen and you forgot to go to the grocery store that day, you you might take a look around and evaluate, right? Take stock. For me, that part of the process is what footage is just usable? I don't care if I intended to use it or not. Can it be used for something? Um, and so I ended up using shots that was literally, literally me setting, picking up the camera. Like there's been a number of times, maybe not a number, like, two or three times in my career where I took a shot that was really just someone picking the camera up to put it on their shoulder. And while they were doing that, they had already started rolling. There was just something little magical. It was just in focus and uh, capturing just something. And maybe they shot it, you know, I shot it in slow-mo. I was like, Oh, there's something beautiful here that I can use. And so I go through every inch because all I care about is what's usable, right? If you're going through your kitchen and getting, the stuff you, okay, this is rotten. I can't eat this. It doesn't matter if I have it. It's not edible. And so once I have everything edible in my editing tray, I'm like, okay, what can I make with this now? And then I go from there because now I know every freaking ingredient that I have at my disposal. And then if there's something I don't have that I need, we can talk about that. But until then, what can I make right now? Okay. And then what can it be, you know, an emergency shoot later? Okay, cool. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's make a pizza <laughs> or goulash as it were. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a that's lot of awesome, goulash. man. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I, I really subscribe to that. Like you can only control what you can control and mm. it's, it's hard to remember that in life period, much less, uh, on a set, you know, where you've got other people that are in the moment affected by your decisions. Uh, but I think it's super important to remember that right? Because, because also it, it rubs off on the people around you. If you're, if you're stressed out, right? You have to be, even if you're cracking a whip, not stressed. You know, I told you, I I was on this, this shoot last weekend, um, with this, um, uh, producer and she was very much like that. She was, she would crack a whip when everybody was, you know, if people were loud and they needed quiet on set or, or if they needed to move and they weren't going fast enough, but at the same time, she was chill. And, and everybody respected her and like understood, oh man, Rachel is okay. Let's, let's move, you know? And it was very much, you control the room with your, instead of with aggression, with your preparedness, 
right? Everyone can feel it. If you know, if you know, I'm ready for this, then everyone else and you're running the show, everyone around you can feel that. And it seemed like from what you showed me, it felt like that in what I saw. It felt like I, I'm going to go in and get the stuff I'm ready to get and, and a bunch of other stuff too. You know, I'm going to grab a bunch of stuff, but I know exactly what I'm going to get and I'm going to get at least that. And just having that mentality of knowing what you're going to get or what you're going to be trying to get makes everyone feel so relaxed and like, like, you know, not just know what you're doing, but you know what you're capturing. Right. And if they, and if, if you get a shot and you say, okay, let's move on, they feel confident that you got it. Right. And then, and then, so that makes the next shot even better because they're like, oh, okay. Wes knows what he's getting. He was happy with what I did in the last take, you know, let's continue on this path. And, and, uh, it felt like that when I was watching your, your, your spot. It was great. Thanks, man. Hopefully, uh, the, yeah. the next few passes, uh, make something that, you know, the, the artist is happy with. I haven't showed him yet. Uh, Matt Bozeman. That's, that's the last one on the list. Uh, oddly enough, um, because you want of course it is. to put a decent foot forward, but not so far forward that nothing can be changed. Cause maybe he's like, ah, I really hate that shot of my face. Um, mm. can we, can we put yeah. something else there? Can we, Maybe some feet instead of that. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> I mean, dude, I, at, speaking from an artist's point of view, yeah. yeah, sometimes you just don't want to see your own face. Sometimes you're mm-hmm. like, man, okay, this moment is not about me. I don't want to see that. But how would you know as the editor? You know what yeah. I mean? Like, because you're not him. So you're just putting together what you think is 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 the story. And maybe he's just also in his own head and uncomfortable with seeing himself on camera. In which case you also have the liberty to say, dude, get over it because this is perfect right now. You know, you're a rock star, buddy. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Nice. Well, yeah. Speaking of, I don't know, art and really putting yourself out there. uh, What are we covering today, man? Today we are covering Spirited Away. So if you haven't seen this film, pause it and please go watch it. It is streaming on Max, I believe. Uh, so you should be able to see it. It's from 2001. Yeah, we'll look at a handful of things. We'll definitely touch on some of the cinematography and editing. Um, we'll look at story and writing, Chihiro's journey from weak to strong, uh, complex emotions, and other such stuff and things and stuff. Sorry, I had it muted. Uh. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. So here's a quick synopsis of the film. During her family's move to the suburbs, a sullen 10-year-old girl wanders into a world ruled by gods, witches, and spirits, a world where human beings are changed into beasts. Uh, it's written and directed by Hayao Miyazaki, English version featuring Devey Chase as Chichiro, Chihiro, uh, Suzanne Plechette as Yababa, and M- Mio Irino as Haiku. I'm sorry she turned your parents into pigs, but there's nothing I can do. It's just the way things are. You'll have to help your parents and Haku on your own. Use what you remember about them. What? Can't you please give me more of a hint than that? It seems like I met Haku before, but it was a long time ago. That's a good start. Once you've met someone, you never really forget them. It just takes a while for your memories to return. While you're thinking, the boys and I are going to make you something. And I want you to call me Granny from now on. (laughs) Ah, come on, keep at it. No face, where did you learn to spin thread? You're really good at this. Now let's weave the threads together. Knit one, pearl two, knit one, pearl two, knit one, that's right. Granny, I can't remember anything at all. Haku could be dead already and I'm just sitting around here. My mom and dad could have been eaten for dinner. (laughs) Wait just a little bit longer. There we go. Use it to tie back your hair. It'll protect you. It's made from the threads your friends wove together. Thank you. Couple of questions, I guess, you know, uh, right off the top, you know, how do you like it? But I'm also curious if uh, if you got your kids to sit down and watch it with you this week. 
I wanted to, um, but Simon was he he wasn't into it yet. Like not uh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, not quite yet. Like I started watching it, and then he said he wanted to watch it with me, and then we got about ten minutes in, and he got distracted with something else. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I I I think he's Charlotte might like it a little bit more than him. He's at this phase where he's like really into like live action now. Mm. So um, I think you know. 20 year old uh, animation is a little bit yeah. <laughs> old for him until he can, you know, kind of like get back into it. Uh, but also he's been really distracted lately. He's making little movies himself with his friends down the street <sighs> nice. with the iPad and I'm teaching him iMovie and oh, he's wow. yeah, flipping out about it. I mean, they've made four little two minute films and they're going to make another one today. So, so I don't want to put the kibosh on that at all. But for me, you know, I haven't seen this movie in a while. It's probably been, I don't know, maybe whew, 10 years or so. It's been a minute. So uh, the first thing I, that I wanted to do before I went in and watched it again was kind of reacclimate myself to the meaning behind it. Because, mm. you know, if you just watch it on its face as a Westerner, right, you you miss a lot, right? You're, you're thinking, what the hell is going on? Like, I don't understand any of this. That everything just feels like it's just random stuff is happening, and and it is, and it is. But but if you kind of verse yourself with the the purpose of it in general, like it's kind of a beautiful. It's such a beautiful story. I mean, the the idea, the premise behind it is is basically a better story to tell parents when they lose their kids. And, um, then they're just dead and they're gone. Right. And, and obviously this has a better ending than the story because she comes back to her parents, they get back to the world, the real world and stuff and, uh, and everything. But in general, the idea is that like they're off in this beautiful land where you can't go, Hmm. you know, and with, with these beautiful mystical creatures and stuff. But I mean, for me, as as crazy and weird as it is, I still find it super intriguing and beautiful. I mean, the artistry behind this film is so incredible. My favorite moments are like uh, the water train scene uh, where they're where they're in the train, like um, where her and No Face are in the train, and just the 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 skies in general. All the ways that they draw the skies are just they're so vast it's it's really kind of unbelievable what they're fitting on the screen things like you know her skin shivers when she when something happens and you see these shivers go up her skin and and into her hair uh, i just i love those little texture things the stink spirit was amazing it was unbelievable that whole scene where it, it taking a taking a bath and then her pulling all of that stuff out of it and kind of saving is it's, it's really really amazing uh think my favorite shot in the entire thing was when haku was trying to save her and they're running through this narrow path of flowers it felt like a parallax almost effect that they had going on yeah yeah it was it was and it happens twice really Mm -hmm. from what i remember and it it was like almost a pop of just oh my god I, I don't know. I can't even describe it. It was just like a wonderful little moment that only happens a couple of times that that is kind of like a little reward for not much happening quite before and then not much happening quite after. It's just like this little window of like beauty. Uh, so, yeah, I, it's a beautiful story. It's amazingly drawn. You know, it's I mean, it's over 20 years old and it's it's obviously a foreign film. So sometimes like if you try to translate it into Westernese, you kind of lose a lot, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to understand that this is a culturally based story as well in order to really grasp it. And that's that's why I kind of, you have to watch this a little differently than most Western movies, right? Or even most foreign films even, because just so much random stuff happens with so many random characters. You have to look at them as in they mean something. You know, that means something. The frog means something. The the stink hmm. um, spirit means something. Haku means something. Like them turning into pigs, the parents turning into pigs means something. Even if you don't know what that means, 
if you understand that there that's happening and that's there for a reason, then you'll enjoy it a lot more than just thinking, oh, this is a random thing that happens like half of the or 90 percent of the cartoons that my kids watch. It's just like random stuff happening for no reason at all. Uh, that's not this, you know. So I don't know. I'm curious what you what you think. How many times have you seen this film and and when was the last time you watched it? Uh, I mean, it's probably been a few weeks since I watched it. Uh, this has slowly become one of my comfort movies. It took a while because the first time I watched it, it was like really, really good. And I was like, I don't want to, I'm good. Like, I don't really need to see that again. And then I don't know. Eventually I was like, let me just throw it on. I, you know, almost like a background movie. And then it just pulls you in. And then through the repetition of watching it, it became more and more, you know, comfort watching. Uh, and that's what I think is key to a good comfort movie is familiarity. Um, and this movie, yeah, it's funny. I, I, I've never heard that, you know, the whole idea of this being a story for parents, like I, this looks like a story purely for kids. And because everything would, is upside down from that perspective of your, your, you know, parents losing a kid because from the perspective of the story, it's a kid losing your parents. Uh, so that is a really interesting perspective or maybe a starting point. I don't know. I, but what's interesting about, you know, as you're talking about seemingly random things happening, I did read some snippets of an interview. I'll link the whole interview. Only read the stuff pertaining to writing, but Hayao Miyazaki talks about his writing process is not really a writing process at all. Um, he talks about how he storyboards and then he writes. And so he'll, he'll storyboard. And then basically not long after that, he said, they'll actually start animating. And so he's kind of doing it in tandem, storyboarding, writing, and then they're animating kind of all at the same time. He he also mentions like, it sucks for the people around me to, to, to deal with that because it's not, it's not ideal. It's not how any other, you know, medium really works and, and storytelling. And, you know, you usually write your script and then now we can go from here. And so he's kind of just figuring it out as he goes. Um, but at the same time, like I have to imagine he's either written some kind of outline or a bunch of ideas, or he's really just holding a ton of ideas in his head. And maybe he just doesn't know how they all connect yet or how, you know, the, it'll structure out in the end game. But he kind of figures out as he story. I have to imagine that's the case because I don't see how you can start writing spirit of the way without knowing on some level you know on on a very tactile level that you're making spirit of the way there's too much happening in this movie i don't think you start with a car driving down the road and end with you know she's falling out of the sky with the dragon like that that doesn't make any sense to me uh if so holy crap best writer of all time um Forget Hemingway, uh, forget everyone. Like Hayao Miyazaki is one of kind, and that very well may be the case. I'm not saying it's absolutely, you know, this or that. Um, I would just imagine he's got some of these structural elements in his head uh, when it when he begins this process, um, if not written down somewhere secret, um, or just talking it out with people. Um, like, yeah, here's what I got. Here's what I'm thinking, um, and then you kind of bounce ideas around. Hear a bunch of ideas you don't like, which tells you the idea that you do like um, something along those lines. But I still think that's a really inspired way to create because that lack of perfection from the beginning gives you so much freedom to go where the story you feel like should go from one beat to another. Because once you start with, oh, you know, she's whatever, abandoned and alone in this, you know, amusement park. Okay, well, What's more terrifying than being abandoned? How about being surrounded by ghosts? Let's throw it like you can suddenly feel and see where each moment should go next based on the contrast it'll provide you. And so I can see how inspiring that would be to be creating and see it and really feel it, you know, one beat at a time instead of just thinking about it. Like, okay, I, I think this is going to be the way it goes. Well, no, let's see it. Let's actually feel what those moments feel like. Oh, you know, it's going to make that even better. That's completely up in the table. So I can see that paying a lot of dividends as a storyteller um, because what he did is so different from anything that's been made in the West. Um, Disney doesn't hold a candle. Like as much as I love that I grew up on Disney there, I can't tell you how much it means that there was not a 
a song and dance in sight of this movie. <laughs> At yeah. no point does Chihiro turn around and say, and I'm an individual like who is capable of <laughs> living her life. Like, no, there's none of that, right? It's it's just her, you know, doing her thing. And so anyway, like for me watching this movie, it's it's a, it's a just a beautiful experience to see her going through all these emotions and going through all these moments, not knowing what's coming her way. Uh, because there is that lack of rigid structure um, and Western storytelling elements that are so fundamental. These are the things that at page 27, X has to happen. Like at page 25, you better be starting, you know, the turn or whatever. And that's when act two begins. And act two is whenever, you know, you're going to start in like, nah, you know what? Just make moments that matter, that connect and that tell a story. And then if you if you really started with the right intention, you'll end up somewhere with a full full of intention, full of emotion and full of meaning. Man, I love that you say that because I've been I've been thinking lately about that, like um, and I'm not trying to I'm not getting off topic, uh, but like just as a creator. Right. Like, mm. you know, I've been working on an album. And I sat there yesterday and I'm listening to these mixes that are coming back from the mixing engineer. And I'm thinking, how the hell did I do that? You know, have you ever tried to make something? Yes. Right? (laughs) You write it, you shoot it, you edit it, and then you step back as a viewer rather than as the creator. And you think, how the hell did that happen? And that's like anybody who's listening to this that is a creator, I really want you to understand that is the goal to sit back and say, what the hell? Who made that? Who made that? Be- yes, exactly. Because then you weren't in your head thinking, I thinking exactly what you just said. Okay. Page 25, there's the turn. And now we in act two or whatever, because then you're just making the same shit. Everybody else has made instead of making the thing that was in your head and releasing that. Right. And, and so and I was thinking uh, when I was listening to some of this stuff, I was like, how did how did I write that lot? Like. Like, where did that come from? And then I remembered, oh, I wasn't trying. I like and in those moments, just let go and said, OK, what is it I want to say or what is it I'm thinking about? What is it that 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 I think should happen now? And not looking at it from the lens, from from a, a macro lens, looking at it at a micro lens. This moment, what is this supposed to be? Now, this moment, was that supposed to be? And then, at the, and then at the end or towards the end, you step back and you look at it and you're like, oh, that's what that is. I had no idea. I had, I didn't know what I was making. Now I know what I'm making. Or maybe I don't even know what that is, but I just like it. And that's okay, too. Absolutely, because you might get to the end after that whole process and say, oh, I get what I was doing now this whole time. Now I can go back and revise and and, yeah. and really bring it out now that I know exactly, oh, maybe that first line shouldn't be this. It should be this because at the end I'm saying this and this brings a new harmony to the whole song or peace. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or film or whatever. I mean, yeah. Rick Rubin is super famous for doing this. He doesn't know how to play any music. He's a famous producer. Chili Peppers, System of a Down, like like Dixie Chicks, everybody. He's famous for not knowing how to play any music, not know like, like any. He doesn't know how to read music. He doesn't know how to play any instruments. He doesn't know how to edit. Um, he doesn't know how to use a, a, a console or a board. He doesn't know how to record anything. He just knows what he likes. That's and he it. can roll a great joint. No, just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But the, the point is, is that 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 benefits someone like him. Mm-hmm. And he's famous for saying, sometimes we don't know what we're making until after we made it. And then we don't even know what that is until maybe two years down the road. And that's okay too. You don't have to have all the answers going yeah. in. And so knowing that's how he writes, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Maybe yeah. he just is is like in the flow and that's that's how he likes to operate. And so you're seeing his brain come out on the on the screen, you know? Who knows? It's, it's pretty impressive. Um I'll look at some of the cinema. It's not a lot like cinematography, editing stuff. I just noticed that there's so many static shots, which allows Chihiro to walk or run through the frame. And now we're kind of feeling her energy 
And it, it's an interesting feeling that it creates because, uh, you know, you, you feel the, the place and it's like she's escaping or she's exploring just depending contextually on what's happening in the moment. And similarly, there's a lot of tilt shots, sometimes up, sometimes down, and it just lets things happen in terms of sometimes it's letting a building uh, rise above us or maybe a character rise above us, right? No face becomes the monster at the end. And I feel like there's some good tilt shots there um, or sometimes heights falling beneath us. Uh, and so they just use the camera kind of looking up or looking down um, to let certain things emotionally loom or you know uh impose itself on chihiro and likewise us um and there is a nice edit it's simple like there's a really nice edit though um it's when she's getting ready to uh it's right before the stink monster the stink spirit comes in and they're trying to clean that tub and and lynn tells chihiro you know you need to get go get an herbal soak token from the foreman and she's all excited, like, got it, yeah. Chihiro runs off screen, and we just kind of hold there for a minute. And then she runs back in. Hey, Lynn, what's a foreman? And then cut. <laughs> like, yeah, it's just this moment of, you're assuming she's going to ask what a, a token is, but no, 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 much more fundamental than that. She doesn't even know what a foreman is. And before we see any response, you know, we cut out of it, which adds this layer of humor and punchline uh, to the whole moment. It's informative, and it... It, you can just imagine Lynn's frustration because she's also like, you're dope. You know, she's like, figure it out. You know, uh, yeah, it's just this beautiful little quick edit um, because this movie is so well paced. They're not afraid to linger at the very end. You know, we're watching Chihiro for, I don't know, a good 10 seconds. And then she walks out of the frame and we just hold there for another three or four seconds on an empty frame. As we're starting to feel, you know, the experience that she just went through. And maybe to some degree, she's still lingering there. And so it's a very, it's not accidental is my point. Like no edit in this film is accidental just because it's hand drawn. Uh, it doesn't mean that they didn't think about pacing and rhythm and all those elements and how it impacts the viewer in the story that they're telling. Um, yeah. The, the big thing I really want to look at, um, and I think it's the big thing that any storyteller uh, watches this movie and walks away with is uh, the story and writing side of things strong characters my god and it's funny uh scott yesterday uh sent a a big video about strong female characters uh and i watched it i'm not a huge critical drinker fan like i'll watch the clips that taught uh scott sends and i he's kind of hit or miss for me i think he gets a little overly obsessed with certain things that i just don't care about um yeah and i'm sure i do the same thing for a lot of listeners so it's all fair <laughs> i'm not i'm not you know uh, ignoring that but i was I, I kept anticipating him bringing invoking uh chihiro because she's an incredibly strong uh, lead lead female character. And so I just wanted to analyze her. And this was my intention of even discussing this film. I don't know if everyone remembers several years ago, we went on a streak of, I don't know, seven or eight films where we looked at strong female leads, a very long engagement, gravity, black Swan, Alita, annihilation, hunger games, million dollar baby. Like we just, we went for it. <laughs> you know, we did a whole series about it. Um, and this film would have fit right in because your hero is so good. And so let's look at what makes strong characters, strong characters. Um, and I think for one thing, vulnerable characters are easier to identify and empathize with. It doesn't matter man or woman. I think this is one thing that often makes women more interesting leads is because society, I think maybe this is a social issue, um, allows women to be more vulnerable than guys. You know, you watch a, a guy be vulnerable, depending on the viewer, you might see weakness or you might see this and that. And so uh, I think there's been a big tendency to make these really strong guy guys that never cry, never bleed, right? I ain't got time to bleed, like all that kind of stuff. And it's like, you know what? Vulnerable guys are really compelling. But for, you know, this story, watching her be vulnerable, um, it's so much easier to empathize with her. And it's also easier to create an arc for that. Someone who's vulnerable has places that they can get stronger. And so at the, at the start of this movie, Chihiro's afraid of everything, right? Of going through the tunnel, <laughs> of staying, <laughs> of not going through the tunnel, of just staying next to this little statue, right? All of it is terrifying to her. And it, what's interesting too about that is we get into this abandoned, you know, theme park. Um, the parents start eating and you could look at it as her fear 
is what kept her from eating the food with her parents. Right. And so that's kind of a clever mm. turn because perhaps the thing that she needs to overcome is incidentally the thing that saved her from the start. Right. Or another way you could view it is maybe it's simply her one strength in disguise, which is her empathy. And so you can look at that in a number of ways. And that's what's so good about this movie is it's layered and it's complex. There are no simple answers throughout this entire thing. Um, and that is also what makes it for a satisfying journey. Chihiro's journey from weak to strong is something worth really processing. And what makes it so good is we're going to put this character in the worst possible position, right? An abandoned little girl in a land full of spirits. That's terrifying. And then from there, we're going to constantly put her on her own with problems to figure out and overcome risks that she has to take in order to overcome all of that stuff. And so like, even from the beginning, like the stairs, she has to go down these stairs and it's just stairs. But for her, this is life and death. And of course, I mean, for anyone going down those stairs for the first time, it is life and death. But for her, it's like so dangerous. It's so impossible. And she tries to eke her way down. Right. And slowly. And then she tries to get a little courage and then starts walking stumbles slips and then flees right she flees her way into success uh and it's hilarious um and also endearing and you understand it all at once but then if you contrast that with the end she has to run over this exposed pipe sitting on the wall hovering over all these heights right and she has to do that in order to help haku and it's funny because you watch her and she's a little scared right she looks at her hand with Haku's blood, gathers her courage, runs over the crumbling pipework. Whoa, what a great before and after picture of her and everything she's she's overcome. Whatever, we go from the stairs into she needs a job, right? That was the thing Haku told her. You need to get a job. <laughs> get out there, get a, make a living, right? Um, and there's some good childhood coming of age elements laced through this entire thing, of course. Um, but for her to be safe in this world, um, she has to get a job, right? She tries and fails to get one from the boiler man, um, Hamaji. And so that's, that whole little process is interesting because we watch her get rejected and then persist, right? Uh, she takes the coal from one of those little soot workers. And that's so good because we like characters uh, who fail and, and it's, it makes you identify with them more. And now it's like, okay, but you can do it. You can overcome. She doesn't give up. She goes, now she meets Lynn. Lynn is supposed to take her up to Yubaba. And in the process of doing that, she has to abandon, uh, Lynn has to abandon uh, Chihiro in order to help her, right? And so halfway to Yubaba, she gets abandoned. Now she has to figure it out on her own. Once again, there's no one around to help her. So she has to go to Yubaba and persist and, and really figure it out. And we'll certainly be coming back to that later. But that's the entire movie. It's constantly having to figure things out for herself, which is adulthood. There's no B route into responsibility. You just have to have responsibility. As a kid, I was handed probably too much responsibility, uh, but it's what made me an adult. It's what everyone has to go through. That's your rite of passage is taking on responsibility. And we're watching her do that. Half this movie is her being given orders to fulfill and not being sure of how to do it. Just figuring it out. Right. She starts her job and she's slower and weaker at mopping than everyone else. Everyone's flying around the floor and she's like, eh, eh, eh. she can't even wring the towel out. Right. She's so weak. And Lynn is like, oh, my God, have you ever worked? Have you done anything in your life? No, I'm a child. <laughs> uh, and though from there, Chihiro takes on the stink spirit. Right. And and what's really cool about that whole section is it's a moment that a problem that terrifies everyone else there, right? And now you have Chihiro who's slower, weaker than everyone there. But you know what? She has more courage. Boom. She solves this thing. She finds a thorn in its side, quote, right? Uh, that's literally what she says. I, I, I think I found a thorn. And for me in the West, anyway, I, I don't know if this is a universal story, but it invokes the morality tale of the lion and the mouse, right? The, the mouse who 
uh, helps the lion by taking the thorn out of its paw um, because everyone else is too afraid to help the lion or to come near him. Um, and maybe the lion is too proud. I've, I haven't read the story since I was a kid. This is in my head. This is all those things, right? He's too proud to ask for help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you have the weakest, smallest, and least significant animal in the jungle serving a purpose through fearlessness and kindness to the lion. And so the strongest, most fearsome animal um, is being helped by uh, the weakest and blah, blah, blah. And so you can see that element obviously at play in this entire movie, right? You have the dragon, Haku, who's being helped and saved uh, by Chihiro, the human that he had to help and save. It's beautiful. Then the bridge itself is this interesting little before and after snapshot. Um, at the start, right, she has to hold her breath while crossing the bridge or risk being found and having her, her spell broken, the one that Haku gave her to, to help save her, right? And so she's being escorted by Haku. She can't breathe. She can't be seen. And it's at night. At the end of the film, where, where's Haku? He's on the other side of the bridge. And she crosses by herself on her own in broad daylight in front of everyone to pass her final test. It's all right there. It's a beautiful before and after. And what I love about this movie is there's so many complex emotions. I love that moment when Haku feeds her after she's kind of settled in. She's had one night. He gives her some food. And I love that while she's uh, eating, she starts crying. And it's like she's been holding her breath ever since the bridge and is finally letting out her breath. It's like, oh, my God what's going on? I'm so upset. And it's so beautiful. It's so honest. Like if you can't watch that and be like smacked, Oh, I don't know if movies are for you. (laughs) It's such a beautiful moment. And, and, and she, she refuses the food at first and he forces it on her. He's like, no, 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 please. I know, I I know you need this and you don't want to ask for it, but I'm going, he's, he's so wonderful to her. It's, it's just a great moment. It really is of, of like, of like, you're right. She, of her having to like being able, feeling like finally she's able to breathe because she does have a little bit of support. Like somebody, somebody cares, you know, yeah. it's, it's such a great metaphor for like the way we should treat other people. Like you just don't know what other people are going through. Yeah. Still staying with complex emotions here. Um, at the beginning, what this is much more subtle. It's obvious once you point it out, but I think, it's probably subtle to everyone watching it. And once you're trying to feel, why does she feel so much stronger? Because yeah, her decisions and things that she's doing physically are obviously much uh, different from where she was at the beginning. But there's something else that's obvious on pointing it out, but more subtle than you know you probably suspect, which is at the beginning, she has trouble regulating her emotions. She's constantly screaming her desires, right? At the end... The way she's handling no face, she's calmly stating her desires. And uh, let's let's listen to this before and after. We'll listen to her trying to get a job from Yubaba and then listen to the way she handles um, uh, no face. I want you to give me a job, please! Quiet down, you're scaring the baby. Ooh. Hi, sweetie, don't be angry. It's a good boy. I'm not I would like to leave, sir. I have some place I need to go to right away, please. You should go back to where you came from. Yubaba doesn't want you in the bathhouse any longer. And so just you can hear the, the intention behind her emotional development throughout this entire process is right there on its face. Like unable to regulate, you know, her, her emotions, conquer her fears. Now it's whatever comes. I got this good stuff so that again you can look at that in a number of ways um and and analyze all of that the big question for me is also like what's this all about because on the on the obvious side right it's it's about growing up by stepping out of your comfort zone and even the baby learns to stand on its own after it leaves the safety of its home and listen to this clip of her conversation with the baby, because I think this really encapsulates what this film is trying to, uh, to communicate. Ah! Ow, let go of me! Wow, you're a big baby. Would you mind letting go of me? I'm in a really big hurry. You came in here to make me sick. Huh? 
You're a bad germ from outside, aren't you? I'm not a germ, I'm a human. Now would you please let go of me? You'll get sick if you go outside. So stay here and play with me. You won't get sick. Yes, you will. That's why I've never left this room. Staying in this room is what'll make you sick. Listen, someone very important to me is terribly hurt. I've got to go right now, so please let go of me. And so that whole little moment of her saying, staying in here is what'll get you sick. She's communicating new experiences are what make you healthy. And of course, at the beginning of the film, she didn't want to leave her hometown. She's moving to a whole new town, a whole new set of experiences. And her mom is trying to tell her, this is an adventure. It's good for you. Um, and now it's like she's finally getting that understanding by communicating to this little baby the thing that she's been learning. Staying in here is what will get you sick. Not leaving your room. And of course, at the end of the film, the baby comes back home, stands on its own. And uh, Yubaba is like, oh, you're standing on your own now. Because the mother ne never wanted, you know, to let her baby out of the sight. Never wanted her baby to grow up. Which is, I think, also symptomatic of why the baby's so huge. The baby's been growing up under her watch. It's never developed into an adult, even though it got bigger. Like, physical size and emotional growth are not the same thing. Um, this is still a baby at heart. And now it's on its way to becoming an adult. Yeah, and so, of course, you know, th there's a whole little ending section where Haku is taking her out, escorting her out of the, the theme park. And he tells her very simply, promise to not look back until you've passed through the tunnel. Right? He's telling her, just move forward. Nostalgia is a trap that keeps the future away. Right? Um, and of course, it's not to say that you can't look back. Just find the appropriate moment to do so. She gets through the tunnel. She's able to look back. And throughout the film, it's also emphasized a number of times, don't forget your name. Don't forget who you are, but move forward at the same time. And it's that lack of remembering who you are while you're growing um, that can really trap someone um, and, and uh, an entire complete person, someone who can do both. Because at that point, it's starting to get tempting. She gets out of the park. It's starting to get tempting to say, oh, is this all in her head? Right. Because the parents are suddenly all fine and complaining about this and that. Um, and of course, we get back and the car is covered in leaves and branches. The experience was real. That validates everything we just went through. Um, and of course, the final words of the film are her mom asking her uh, if she thinks she's going to be okay. And she's like, I think I can handle it. Uh, too good, man. Too freaking good. Yeah. Um, and on its, and on its, its face, it's kind of like, um, you know, she's got friends throughout. And I would even say that in a way, even though he chases her and it gets kind of scary, no face is uh, essentially one of her friends as well, but only because she invites them in. So no face to me, you know, like represents a little bit of like loneliness essentially. And like that hole that you, that you feel right. And then, yeah. and it's so easy to like push it away or push it down or to avoid it, but she welcomes it him in. Like she sees him out in the rain and she like welcomes him into the bathhouse and it become it starts becoming this thing that chases her it become it tries to take her over but she's oh. able to she's able to put it in its place and then travels on the on the train with him basically like learns to live with him in a way that we all kind of need to learn to live with this like feeling of being not whole feeling of loneliness and then what's his name uh Sorry, I don't have it in front of me. Uh, I, Haku? I'm so bad with names. The dragon? <laughs> uh, Haku. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously he's, well, like he's lost, right? You know, he's, he represents that river that was drained essentially. So he's just completely lost. And so she kind of needs, it's, it's just wonderful that part of her journey is helping him find himself so that it's not all about her getting back. It's also about her helping someone else. It's just so beautiful. And then like, <laughs> I think it's also just brilliant turning the giant baby into a little hamster um, so that the baby can travel outside with her because otherwise it would just take up the entire frame. It would be the focus of everything. And now since he's transformed into this little mouse like creature, he can be, 
he can be subservient almost and help her not subservient. That's the wrong word, Yeah, but he could, yeah, be helpful rather than, you know, like, like take up the entire focus of everything I think was like brilliant, but she has like all of these friends, essentially some that she helps some that help her. Um, actually she helps all of them. <laughs> she, she saves all of them, honestly, like even, even no face, like she gives, she gives him a home with grandmother at the end. You know, you stay with or, like, no face. You stay with me. And blah, blah, blah. like he he's not lonely anymore. You know, becomes whole almost. She helps him. She helps the baby. The baby can walk now and it has experienced the world. She helps Haku, uh, obviously giving him his helping him find himself again. Like, it's just it's so beautiful. It is. And because as much as it's about, you know, facing your fears, it's also about not being presumptuous and judging something or someone before giving it a chance. Oh man. You know, definitely. Haku, how many times was she told he's evil and, you know, don't trust him. And she's like, I just know she has to go against everyone. The people that she trusts that's helping her. She's like, Nope, I just know it. Oh, that's, I couldn't play the final clip of them falling. Cause I was like, I, I will not survive. I'll combust. Cause it's so beautiful. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, yeah, this, this whole movie is just full and God, I love your point about no face. Like it is about the sadness and the loneliness that, you know, we all have to come to terms with and live with to some degree or another. Um, even if it's just for a moment in your life, there are some people who really don't experience that stuff and like good on you, like celebrate that. Don't, don't bemoan that. If you grew up with a healthy childhood, God, stop begging for trauma like believe yeah. me you're you're great like enjoy it and it just the the train ride where she just yeah like you said man she just has to sit there with it and she welcomes it without allowing it to devour her um it's just beautiful beautiful uh metaphors you know operating so many levels in this film yeah i mean then there's just countless details little things the the little moments are just everywhere every scene uh one of my favorites is like uh the way she runs right with her arms up and uh it's like she's a scarecrow and there's this kind of childness you know that that accompanies all her her physicality yeah i love it i also love that it takes 45 minutes to really settle in like the whole first 45 minutes of the film it's her getting to the park and losing her parents and being introduced to the spirit world, finally getting a job. And then finally, you know, getting to sleep and wake up and feel and take a breath. Like that takes 45 full minutes uh, before you feel like, okay, we're in this world now. And none of it feels like a waste. It all feels like an adventure. Uh, yeah, this is, it's brilliant. I, if someone were to say this is the best cartoon ever made, I would not like debate them. I'd be like, you know what? I I'll, I'll let you have that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not voting anyway. Uh, there's so many great animations. Not that I think it's necessary to rank them. Um, I just yeah, this I can see mm. so clearly why this resonates internationally. Uh, yeah, and why Studio Ghibli yeah. is just so beloved. Yeah, <sighs> yeah, amazing. It we is. got through it. <laughs> we did. <laughs> well oh, done. Final thoughts, well done. man. Uh, I. Don't, I I really don't have anything to add. I just, I think, like I said at the beginning, just everything has a meaning and you go into yeah. this film knowing that and, and whether you know the meaning or not, it really makes it that much more beautiful. Even if you don't know what it means, uh, just knowing that it has a meaning because so many, so many times, you know, we watch things and we just, we just are like, why did that happen? Or why did that happen? Just, just take it in, right. Just take in the creativity of this and the, the, seemingly almost stream of consciousness however everything has a meaning is it's just it's makes it that much more brilliant yeah i don't have anything else to add well said man i i think at the end of the day like we could learn so much from these kind of movies that don't feel like you need to create a, a perfect you know protagonist that is capable of handling every problem instead understanding that making someone who's incapable or capable but doesn't know it and it has to be challenged mm -hmm. and then by the end of the film knows they're capable 
and then takes on any challenge. She doesn't try to get out of that final challenge at the end of the movie. She's like, nope, you're right. We made a deal. Let's do it. At the beginning of the film, she was just trying to get away, right? But at the end, she's confronting it. Let's go. And there's a whole process that I think we can learn from as storytellers um, and obviously of our own life of what it means to, to face you know, our fears and, and, and to, to, to do it with boldness. Yeah. Um, hundred percent. Great point. So what are you going to recommend this week, man? Uh, so, I mean, if you haven't, if you haven't seen it, sorry, but, uh, I won't spoil anything, but I'm going to recommend Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse, the new, uh, Miles Morales film that just came out. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to say anything about it because it's just brand new. It's still in the theaters, but I'm, I'm recommending that. Well, freaking done. I'll co-sign that. I'm going to recommend a, another international movie, I think is the best way to, to frame it. It's a Korean American film. It just came out this past weekend. I saw, I caught it and it's just fantastic. It's called Past Lives. It's a drama and it has similar themes about uh, a young girl uh, stepping out of her comfort zone, leaving things behind and discovering something entirely new. And so if you if you like Spirit of the Way, I think there's a lot. Uh, it's more adult, um, but there's a lot to discover with past lives. I highly recommend you go support it. It's a first-time feature director, Celine Song. Cannot wait to see what else she makes because I was floored. Um, yeah, past lives. Uh, yeah, stay tuned for next week as we continue our worldwide trip. Uh, I think we started in India. We bounced over to Ireland then Japan, and now we move over to England and, and see what's happening over there with The King's Speech. So go check that out. I'm sure you can rent it somewhere. Yeah, and if you're enjoying the show, don't forget, subscribe, drop us a review, leave us a note. If there's something you want us to cover, uh, we'll consider covering it. We don't cover every single thing that's uh, requested, um, but most of them, like we, we do a lot. If it fits in our narrow scope of things we want to do, uh, then yeah. Uh, we're, we're excited about it. Um, and shout out to Steven, my, my buddy, Steven from the, the cookie duster. Uh, he, he says he, it's always interesting when one of our friends says like, yeah, I've been listening, you know, I always listen to the show or I listen to a lot of episodes and it just blows me away. Same. So, uh, shout out for, for listening. And if you want to drop a note on this episode in particular, you can do that at the pestle slash spirited away. And our quote of the day today is from the man himself, Simon Sinek. The challenge of the unknown future is so much more exciting than the stories of the accomplished past. That's such a delicate way of saying, <laughs> of saying, look forward, not yeah. back. You know, I think it's, it's so, it's so easy for us to look at the past and say, okay, like what we're really proud of what we did. And that's, that's important to know where you came from, but at the same time, you know, I mean, the, the end of interstellar like i'm more interested in where we're going yeah than where we've been you know like i think that that's a, a beautiful way of saying it i couldn't agree more yeah I, you know i've just i've got like a friend or two that every time i get around them they only talk about what's been and i never hear them talk about what they're excited about in their future and it's like I wonder how many years and decades they've lost of their lives by only thinking about the best years are behind them. Um, that whole mentality. I, I, I spend very little. I mean, I certainly spend some time thinking about the past, but whenever I have conversations, I'm more interested in like what's to come, what's ahead of us. There's so much more. I think if I spent all my time looking back, uh, there wouldn't be a West here for very long. There's yeah, it's, it's so much more exciting moving forward. And this whole movie is about that. It's all about, giving Chihiro perspective that it's okay to step into the unknown, that what's to come is still going to be good and you can love both. Hmm. That's brilliant. Yeah. Simon Sinek, your boy. Yeah. I, lo I love it. The challenge of the unknown future. Yeah. Let's yeah. go. I think you have to have a goal without a goal. Yeah. Then it's very hard to look forward to the future. I mean, you and I, we work out and I think even something as small as that, you know, we're like, I don't, I don't, you know, necessarily want to be on the Mr. Universe stage, but I, I do have a goal of being fit and feeling good when I look in the mirror and when I'm walking around, like feeling healthy and even something as small as that can be enough, you know, but if you don't have a goal, it's very hard to look forward. You're just looking, looking back at what you've done. So hundred percent. 
Uh, well, thank you guys so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We absolutely did. I loved all of your uh, insight there, Wes. And I'm sure we could talk about it for a whole nother hour, but we won't. Uh, make sure to subscribe, review us, share it with your friends, wherever you get your podcasts. It all helps. It really does. And like Wes said, if you have a film you'd like to hear us cover, uh, make a suggestion. Maybe we'll do it. Until next week, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch the movies. Thank you.